Hello everyone and welcome once again to another episode of NR1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are working our way through ranking every alternative album of the 1990s. I'm your host Natalie and as always I'm joined by my co-host Hadrian. How are you doing Hadrian? Pretty good. We're recording on Memorial Day so hopefully some delicious smoked meat is in our future. Um, but before we get to delicious smoked meat, um, I think that we have one uh, correction that needs to be made. Blah, blah, blah. Courtney Love wrote most of the songs on Live Do This. Yeah, so l- last week, Hadrian said that... A lot of shit. But also... <laughs> he got mad about Hole and talked a lot of shit about Hole, and guess what? Hole wrote all but two of the songs on lived through those one of which was whole co-written with Cat Bieland and the other was uh, written by someone else entirely and I don't remember his name off the top of my head but in the interest of trying to get shit right there you go there's your correction for this week and now it is time to start on our first album of the week which is what Hadrian gratuitous sax and senseless violins by Sparks yeah um this is a, I don't know why I'm doing the introduction for Sparks. You know them way better than I yeah, do. So, but a uh, former glam rock <laughs> band doing dance music. Yeah, which is, I mean, not so. Sparks is your favorite band's favorite band. It's kind of like, kind of like Wire. Like Sparks and Wire both occupy this space of just influencing lots of musicians around them. And Sparks, for sure, is in the back, in in the background of everyone's thoughts through, coming through the '90s. They they were kind of like the the under the undercurrent for the neo glam movement. It was like it was Sparks and Roxy Music that was kind of fueling that, because at that time, uh, Brian Ferry from Roxy Music was doing a lot of soundtracks and whatever. That doesn't get into this, but Sparks in 1994 hadn't released an album for six years, and they kind of took a break. But they had been going hard from the early 70s throughout throughout the 80s. And in 1988, they were like, yeah, we're good. We're, we're done. We're and, and boy, they should have been. I listened to a little bit of Interior Design, their previous album, and it sucked. Interior Design is the worst Sparks album. And I mean, their wit is still there, but it's just you can tell their heart isn't in it. Musically, it's very uh, Muzak, glam Muzak sounding. Mm-hmm. Well, and so... Uh, Sparks are uh, Russell and Ron Mayle. They're brother, uh, two brothers from California, which is, I need to point that out because most people think of them in the British glam rock scene because they started a band called Half Nelson in the early 70s and they weren't really doing very well. So they fucked off to England because Ron was like, our sound is way more like this. And they were way more successful because they, so they were in the glam rock scene. They were in the area where glam rock was happening and throughout the history of the band, Ron and Russell are going to be the consistent members. Uh, Ron does most of the co- of the composing, and he also offers uh, he does uh, background vocals. There are a few versions of songs where he sings it versus Russell, who is the primary singer. And I, it's it's hard to find a more just like compatible set of weirdos. Like they're just weirdos, and it's amazing. And I hope if they ever hear this, I love them both very much. Um. So, I'm saying weirdo in the best sense. But yeah, after interior design, they're like, oh, this fucking sucks. So, the Pet Shop Boys happened around that same time. And I think they were... This album is kind of a commentary on all of the... 
So Glamrock kind of shifted hard into New Wave and then into a lot of like New Wave adjacent pop and dance music. It was like, it was a weird. I feel like the story that gets told about Glam, and, and I don't know how true this is, but that it's sort of like New Wave and Glam had a similar relationship to like grunge and hair metal. Not to say that Glam is like hair metal. I mean, hair metal obviously influenced yeah. by Glam, but like not to say the musical quality is the same, but that punk rock kind of and New Wave kind of came along and were like, fuck all this pomp and circumstance, let's just rock. Yeah, and but th- so when Roxy Music was inducted into the, the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, uh, Duran Duran gave their gave them their award and inducted them, and they were and they were like, yeah, we were running around like idiot children trying to get a glimpse at Brian Ferry, and without. Roxy music, Duran Duran wouldn't sound the way it it sounds, and it's very true. And, and Duran Duran is a very prominent new wave band. So, but they also went more on the pop route, which is where yeah, I say I would not say they were they would be claimed by most new wave fans these days, no but matter they what were, their origins were. They were relevant to it though, but they went the more pop route, which then led into like the Pet Shop Boys doing new wavy, then more just like dance beat music. I have a hard time classifying the Pet Shop Boys, but it matters here because Sparks was hearing all of this stuff and we're like, we have commentary. <laughs> and that's kind of been Sparks' thing throughout their careers. They have commentary on things. They, they, they're very progressive minded and also don't like playing well with censors or the media at large. Uh, my first encounter with them was when they released Dicking Around in the early 2000s and that got banned from the BBC. And I was like, who is this band that got banned from the BBC? Okay, or got the song banned from the BBC. And then I was like, oh my gosh, Sparks is so influential. So yeah, this album, uh, Gratuitous Sax and Census Violins, is nothing like uh, Sparks or Come Out of My House or Propaganda, which are... Uh, Come Out of My House and Propaganda are the two albums I recommend anyone listen to if they want to get into Sparks because those will those will help you. But there's still a through current from how they sound. The way that Ron Mail writes music is consistent, even though his his instrumentation changes. Sparks is incredibly important, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> they they influence a lot of music. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, like you said, they're your favorite band's favorite band, and I had never heard of them before I met you. And then that was how I first heard them, not as uh, the style of this album, as, as traditional glam rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, getting into gratuitous sax and senseless violins. So the easy comparison is the Pet Shop Boys. I think this sounds way more like Erasure than the Pet Shop Boys. Which is, which is... Fine, because uh, Erasure la- later credited Sparks as an inspiration. So the way that, that Russell sings was a, a very much it, like it, an impact on how Erasure sounds. Yeah, which is, again, funny because he's American, not British. Um, but I think just faking a British accent. <laughs> well, they lived in England for a long time. And look, we can talk about this, but you your voice does become affected by where you live. And if you've lived in one country for like 30 years, I think at that point, 
you start sounding a little British. But he also always sounded a little British. <laughs> yeah, but this album has a very, um, like, late 80s, early 90s gay club music feel to it, where it's it's synth pop, but it's very operatic flourishes to it, which is something I associate... Well, I, I was going to say I associate it more with Erasure than the Pet Shop Boys, but then I think of some Pet Shop Boys songs. Yeah, um, Pet Shop Boys love their glissandos and their... One in a, a million big, men. choruses. Um, so what what is different from both of those bands is how overtly willing Sparks is to be comedic. Yes. Um, which they do basically on almost every song in this album. Well, it starts with the... The name of the album bookends the, the album. So the first song is gratu- is gratuitous sax, and the end song is senseless violins, and that that little this is a this is a hallmark of Sparks getting back to form is that a lot of their albums would start with a very short introductory track. It was like this is this is our thesis for this album, and then it's like this very like what do I do? <laughs> like I would not say that gratuitous sax is in any way the thesis of this album. It sounds it, completely different from everything else. But it but it does set the tone for it being silly. And right. like that that's that and that's the point. It doesn't have to necessarily be thematic. It's more just like this song is fucking silly and we will introduce this album being silly. And you know what I really liked about it? Like they might be giants. They know that if you're going to do a song that's just pure silly frivolity, make it short. Mm-hmm. It's 30 seconds long. Good job, Sparks. And sometimes I, I will I will be honest. Sometimes Sparks overdoes their thing. Yeah. Well. So my other my first criticism of this album, my first negative criticism is this is yet another album of songs that should last three and a half minutes that last five and a half minutes. Is there a five and a half minute song? Almost every song is between four and a half and five and a half minutes. Let's see here. Uh, um, most of these songs go on way past the point that they have anything to say, and that definitely is something that that I was okay. Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn is a bad song. That is the worst song on the album. Well, I, maybe that or Ghost of Liberace is the worst. I song love on the, the album. Ghost of Liberace. <laughs> it the, the, that's such a, that's it sounds such... like the limpest Stephen Merritt song from like early 90s magnetic fields <laughs> i hate it that song i i, I love it but uh franklin's called i don't give a damn is not great it, it's, no, it's it's funny the lyrics are funny but, but the way it's, it's way too long yeah the way it's presented isn't and really i'm gonna say the best song on this album is now that i own the bbc in hot contention with when, I, when do I get to sing my way? Yeah, those I, I agree. Those are the two best. Um, uh, what is Let's Go Surfing? Is that name the name of the song toward the end? Yes. Yeah, that one's also really really good. Um, and then then there's everyone's favorite. I thought I told you to wait in the car. Oh, that fucking song! I hated that song. It's, this song is really fun. It's, it's the funniest song in the album. <laughs> it, it really it speaks to like the wit and understanding that Sparks has had their entire career. It's like. In the late 80s, they were trying to make something work that wasn't happening. And then Ron was like, fuck it. I'm going to write my own lyrics the way that I used to write my lyrics. And then just like, whoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's a weird thing about this because it doesn't have, there is no swagger to this album. <laughs> Every song is, the lyrics are from the point of view of just a completely hapless dipshit of a narrator. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
which is which that actually if you i recommend looking up the the new the 2019 vinyl re-release of this album because it it has an amazing uh photo collection inside as well as unreleased songs on cd but the style of this album is just them taking the piss on celebrity drama pop star intrigue and just being nonsensical yeah and so i thought i told you to wait in the car is the a tale of a tale of truckledry possibly <laughs> at the hands of madonna um the, the narrator is in an, in a relationship with a pop star or some sort of celebrity who is constantly telling him i thought i told you to wait in the car because she doesn't want him want to be seen with this loser and he specifically mentions, I, I, in my wildest dreams, I never saw Warren Beatty as a romantic rival. Just my favorite line, maybe, on the whole album. It's good. Um, and yeah, with, with just the refrain of her telling him to stay in the car. And so the, the fact that this is around, around the time of the Dick Tracy movie, and he mentions Warren Beatty, and also Sparks had a history of taking shots at Madonna, I, I feel like this is another shot at Madonna. Or or not really a shot. It's not dragging somebody so much as it's just like an absurd situation that they've written. Yes, and Sparks does have a history of just pointing at someone and being like, come on now. And it's not necessarily like completely mean-spirited, except for their later song, Lighten Up Morrissey, which is them... Basically telling Morrissey to shut the fuck up with his whiny ass nonsense. I mean, he needs to be told that. And it was it was poignant coming from them because Morrissey is on record saying that Kimono My House is his favorite album of all time. And if you listen to his 90s music with that in mind, it makes a lot of sense. He stole so much from Sparks. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, this this album is weird. I didn't like it that much. I said last week it wasn't one of my favorites. Uh, but I actually, mid midway through the week last week, because we when we record this album, we, then we start listening to the next week's albums. I was looking on Amazon and I saw that the the twenty nineteen special edition vinyl was at a ludicrously low price. It's back up to twelve price now. But so I was like, "Fuck it, I'll get it." And then I spent yesterday listening to it. And I was like, "Holy shit! I think I like this album a whole lot." And it's not just because you listen on vinyl, like, you're obviously going to be transported to something. No, it's more just, like, when I listen to a record, I have this, like, mental, like, decompression thing where I just, like, sit there and fucking listen to something. And I could do that with a digital file if I really wanted to put the effort into it. (laughs) (laughs) As as we all know, that's much more effort than putting on a record. Yes. Yeah, so the as far as the absurdism goes, I do wish that it was more complete in other songs. I love Now That I Own the BBC. That's a great song. But also, like, it feels like they the lyrics aren't fleshed out enough. Like, because you have this great idea of a guy who buys the bbc on an impulse and doesn't know what to do with it which came up around Um, the time that there was a a massive post-thatcher and conversation about privatizing the bbc yeah but i don't feel like the verses really carry it carry the idea off like you have this great like soaring chorus of now that i own the bbc what am i supposed to do with this thing and what the hell am i supposed to do with this thing? yeah um but then like i i wished that the verses 
had a little more to say about what one might do with the BBC. And this is one of those songs, Sparks, uh, once the, the advent of music videos, they started composing songs that were meant to also be seen in their video form. So at this time, the BBC was already already considered going off the rails or being a sinking ship. So this entire song is conducted on a uh, cruise liner, not unlike the Titanic, and them dancing and sinking or, or dancing around a sinking ship. So like it's very clear like, that the BBC was in a fucking state. And this album, I think, comes from that because the radio at that time. This is why What's the Story Morning Glory was such a fucking thing because the radio in the England changed at that point. And the early and like this is nineteen ninety four, and things were just a little bit bleak <laughs> when it came to to popular music. So that song lyrically isn't all that strong, but it is meant to be taken as a whole with its video and being very directed at what the sound of music in the BBC was at that point. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the sound of the album. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I've went back and forth a lot on this. Um, the last time I listened to it before recording this morning, I warmed up to it a little bit. Um, or I wouldn't say warmed up. I would say it's not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> um, so I listened to two albums that were, not these albums because of when they came out wouldn't have directly been influences on this one, but uh, the closest albums to this one from Erasure and the Pet Shop Boys, um, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys, which I think was 93, and I Say, I Say, I Say by Erasure, which was 94. Mm -hmm. um, and those, like if you listen to those next to this, those sound so much better than this, this album. Um, and it's not just a production thing, it's an arrangement thing. Um, there is, this album needed gratuitous sax. I mean, there's like no saxophone on this album. Yeah. There's a lot of violins, but it's like every track is basically synth bass, string, synth strings, piano. And it's almost like they're saying you need, if you need something to punch your song up, you need a little gratuitous sax. Yeah. And they should have punched these songs up. Yeah. Because if you listen to this, I mean, especially next to Very, where you just have so much layering and so much more lush arrangements in the songs it's really it shows you how like I, I just don't feel like they were up to producing this album yeah so this is a comment from one of my friends when i posted the vinyl on uh, instagram and she was like i had an intensity that so i i always felt i thought i told you to wait in the car had an intensity that sounded like a riff on the wax tracks and network records of the era and I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's something they were probably trying to comment on. Yeah, I feel like even those albums, you would get some more like high end in them or just some more differentiation. Like it's just every song here. Like you can say what you say, what you will about the Stock and Waterman style of production. But like those big brass hits, like those served a purpose. Yeah. Because if you just take synth strings and a TB303 bass line and a drum machine and make every song with that like it gets old really quickly yeah and i feel though that this this album was kind of a band resurrecting itself because they kind of didn't know what else they were going to do but that's not a bad thing because like the the male brothers are very clearly very creative they've always have been they've always just done random shit <laughs> and it's come somehow come out as uh, interesting music 
So the, the album cover of this album is, so it has lines like, it's all taken from like a tabloid perspective. Yeah, it looks like the sun. Yeah, it's like, America's most miserable man is like Ron holding his chin. And then the, the smear campaign that ran afoul, those bear scenes they tried to suppress. And it's just like them trying to come through controversy and then comment on celebrity and pop controversy around them. Yeah, and it's also a little bit of a... A pastiche of the Lies album cover by Guns N' Roses, which was a really similar layout. Yeah, but I think all of that comes together is that like it doesn't sound as polished or as as nicely produced because they didn't have the resources anymore. Yeah, and and I wouldn't fault the production all that much, but like they obviously had the resources to get a synthesizer, and the synthesizers have sounds other than strings on them, and it just it needed some some brass, it needed some. You know, some some of the burbly, kind of high-end, arpeggiated synths that the Pet Shop Boys would use to, to break things up. I mean, even some, like, even some guitar wouldn't have hurt. Yeah, Sparks was just in a weird place here, because around them, like, the neo-glam stuff was starting to happen. So there were all these musicians that took clear influence from them, being like, oh, I love your stuff, you're so great, you're so influential, I love Sparks, my fa- one of my favorite bands, and they're just like, Sparks is sitting here in the middle going... Do we sound like this? Is this what we sounded like? And this album is sort of like a mistaken identity, almost. Because their next album, Plagiarism, which we'll talk on the, about on the show because it happened in 97, is completely different than this one. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's completely different. It, it's similar, but stripped back. Yeah. It, it's a more vocal, arran- arrangement-heavy version of this. And, and the singer a, from, from Erasure is a guest vocalist on the album. Not surprising. Um, also, it has a better arranged version of uh, When Do I Get to Sing My Way. That, that song is probably... It's too slow. Mm-hmm. Like They slowed it down, but they also fleshed out the arrangement so much more that you can tell like how much better this album would have been if they had been thinking in those terms. Yeah, there, there was, I think that, we're not talking about plagiarism today, but I'm going to say this now, and I'll say it probably then when we talk about it, is that I feel there was more Pet Shop Boys in plagiarism than there is in this one. It's definitely more, like, pop opera, you know. Yeah. But yeah, Sparks, it's, this is a weird, a weird fucking album, and it's one I think you should listen to, and I think they're proud of it still. I They don't, they didn't really do a lot of re-releases for many of their albums. Kimono My House, Propaganda, and this one. And that's strange. Because I think Angst in My Pants is probably one that you should listen to as well. But they, they know what their sound is. And they know the hard break that this album is. And the re-release of this album comes with a bunch of, you can get all this on Spotify, by the way, you don't have to get that vinyl. All of the, the remastered version of this album on Spotify has all of the uh, two CD set that comes with it. So it's there, there are songs where Ron is doing the lead vocal and there were re- there are songs that were never released. Uh, I think Russell called them orphaned songs is the way that the, the way that the back end of this album is. And that's kind of what this whole album is. It's just like things they had thought about, they had to rework. And... I get that. They they had this, this they, if you are in a band for 50 years at this point like you have a lot of work and at the time this album was released I would have been like what that's 80 90 almost 30 it was like that was like 25 years at this point and so they had 25 years worth of material they hadn't really used. Yeah. 
Um, and and this isn't a bad album by any no. stretch. It's a, it's a good album. Um, it's it's inexplicably good compared to Interior Design. I just oh <laughs> yeah, it's vastly better than that. Um, it, it, I'm I'm wondering if the arrangements are almost a, like a case of them being too clever for their own good because That's... it does kind of sound like the way that bad generic house records were produced at the time. Um, it's where it's just all kind of samey sounding and, and just like all you get breaking up the, the strings and bass lines are like some piano. And I can see a brilliant composer like Ron Mail throwing his hands up being like, fuck it, this is what it is now. <laughs> like... I mean, because if you're taking the piss out of out of that stuff, out of out of the celebrity culture and and like the sort of scene around dance music, that would be a way to do it. But it's that sort of eternal conundrum of the fact that you know it sucks doesn't make it doesn't make it good. Yeah. And again, sucks is like too harsh. I'm I'm not saying this it's, album sucks, but it it just is. It's a little lacking. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. What they're doing now, like literally right now, is so much better than this. But this album had to happen for them to get to where they are now. So Sparks are still together and they're still performing. They uh, had a bunch of albums throughout the 2000s at this point, And they did a uh, collaboration album with Franz Ferdinand of all fucking bands. Which once you hear it, you're like, oh, they should just be a band forever. But yeah, it's a... Uh, this album is interesting and i think you should listen to their newest album which is called a steady drip 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 that came out a couple a week like last week of, of this album of this a podcast recording and it, it kind of harkens back to some stuff that happens on this album which i think is why gratuitous sax and census violins was in my head but it's a way better version of it and i don't know i I'm glad you listened to this album and I'm glad you didn't dislike it because it was one of those ones that I was always on the fence about and I just love now that I own BBC so much that I need yeah, to give this that's album. Yeah, really, that, that song went on my, like, my stuff I want to listen to regularly playlist on Spotify, so. Yeah, uh, I thought I told you to wait in the car. We'll probably go on to one of mine as well because it's just one of those ones that, like, lifts your spirits when you hear it because you're just like, ha ha ha, this is a very silly song. Yeah, it it's it's good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, it is ranking time, and let me pull the list up here. Where do you think this one lands? Uh, above monster. Yes. For sure, and I think that's pretty fair. I mean, I would want to put it above reaching, but. I think between Monster and Reaching is fine for me. Okay. Um, yeah, I can definitely do it. It's definitely better than Monster. Um, yeah, man, the the arrangements really hold it back. If this sounded that's, that's it. like half as good as, as Very, I would put it above Reaching. It's it's hard for me to put it that high, given the the generally sort of bland sound of it though. Yeah, and that, and that's completely fair. I just think it is it is genuinely a good album for a band that was reclaiming its identity and that's nice to hear because they came out of the came out with like a you will dance to our music motherfucker and like they did that. You will <laughs> now, dance to their music motherfucker. Now have a baby on the motherfucking floor. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I mean that seems too easy. 
I mean, but, but I think I think it's fair. I think within the the list that we've got there, it's like yeah. Oh no, I'm I'm totally happy with that. Um, I, I mean, was I was ready to have a, a bigger discussion about it because I I expected you to put it higher, but I was very realistic about this album. Plagiarism, I'd actually put higher on the list. Yeah, so that's, I, from what I I didn't listen to all of plagiarism, but from what I heard, I would it just I think the uniqueness of that one as far as pop records go. Uh, would would push it up higher and it and it sounds a lot better than this album yeah but this one um, is not bad it, but it was very much a band who'd been gone for six years coming back and doing a thing and it's a very middle of the road kind of thing but it's not bad and sort of like monster is our cutoff for like things that are terrible <laughs> yeah well yeah uh the the bottom of our list is so much more of a fight than the top of our list it's really funny mm-hmm Okay, well, so this that's going to make uh, Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins the new number six. I'm, so, I'm good with that. Yeah, I think that's a good place for it. And I guess that means we're going to take a break and come back and talk about the swirlies. talk about our second album this week which is what to do about them by swirlies or the swirlies they always write it without the so i'm gonna i'm gonna be obnoxious and just say swirlies well their their wikipedia entry just says swirlies so. yeah but bands who do that like these are they, they the swirlies they're but they're swirlies yeah so swirlies were primarily um they're, so they're a boston indie rock band following in our theme this week of american bands that sound like they're from england um <laughs> and the the main members like they're one of those bands that have had six thousand different members the primary members and songwriters were i'm gonna butcher this name i've never seen it before and i'm gonna try to pronounce it damon tutungian and uh sienna carmody and let's not beat around the bush they heard isn't anything and started a band <laughs> Although that is not how they actually started, but this is, to me, a fascinating band because they're very early for American indie rock bands to start sounding like My Bloody Valentine. And they are not, so like Lilies is the other band I think of, another band that seems like they should have the in front of their name, <laughs> another American indie rock band that should have the in front of their name that was heavily influenced by Isn't Anything. But... Kurt Heasley from Lily's explicitly said, you know, I heard isn't anything and started a band because I wanted to prove that I could I proved myself that I could make my own isn't anything. This band, they actually started as a Go-Go's cover band um, <laughs> and then That's very quickly choice. gave that up and started writing their own stuff. And um, it sounded a lot like isn't anything. But they were also into sort of lo-fi avant-garde American indie rock stuff. And so you what you get out of their earliest material is this really interesting combination of trends from American sort of underground music and shoegaze yeah. on their first album. And it's, you know, whereas... Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine was like bankrupting record labels on studio time. 
this was like largely done on four track recorders or reel to reels done in people's bedrooms. Like almost none of this album was recorded in a recording studio. Um, like I think like three or four of the songs at most were actually done in a, in a real studio. Um, and, and you can tell because a couple of these songs are mostly just guitar and vocals. Um, and it's, so the one other sort of, housekeeping slash history thing about this album is that this one is actually a compilation of their early um like they did some split singles like seven inches and stuff and it's a compilation of that stuff and then a few like unreleased home recordings um and it sounds like it i don't think that that counts against it because this stuff was virtually impossible to hear any other way because of the limited print runs of so it's not a b-sides compilation like this was this was a material it's just because the band was so underground and unknown and working on a shoestring budget that they couldn't really get their stuff out to a to a bigger audience prior to this and um this record was their first attempt at making a cohesive musical statement over more than like two songs yeah and I'll, I'll be fair and, and, and honest about what I'm about to say. I'm not a big fan of this. I don't hate it. This is not the shoegaze or dream pop or any of this sort of adjacent let's make noise with, a, with an instrument music that I am particularly fond of. And it comes down to the quality of the recordings. Which I know is their aesthetic choice. Yeah, and they continue. I mean, this was a band that they continued on for a while. Um, Sienna Carmody left the band and started her own band called Syrup USA, and then the Swirlies carried on without her. And it was a very interesting, like Jekyll and Hyde. Like she took all the melody, and they took all the noise. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Swirlies albums post, I mean, I think it's everything beyond their first actual all-new full-length album, Blondertown Audio Baton, um, she wasn't on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, the lo-fi stuff was definitely an aesthetic for them. They, they wanted to be noisy. They, I, I read interviews with them at the time where they talked about, you know, we were, they, they were talking about recording on handheld tape recorders and stuff. So they were, they're intentionally lo-fi. There's a lot of sound collage elements too. Um, the song, um, her life of academic freedom which I it uses despise. a skipping record as the rhythm track so it's just him playing along with with a skipping record and then it does some weird cut up stuff with the vocal track toward the end where it's like it sounds like they just i, I can't tell how they did it um whether it, it, he either like recorded two different vocal tracks and then cut between them because there are times where he'll he's like ascending in pitch and then all of a sudden he's back down to like where he was with no like it's just a cut it's not not an actual performance um and so i don't know if it was like a literal cut up where he just cut pieces of tape together or if it was like he did two vocal tracks and switched back and forth between them or what but it's it sounds weird and that's the point yeah i so i like sarah sitting i like the 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 rhythm in that there's the very abrupt change from the the drumming at the beginning to the rest of the song and then that coming back in midpoint in the song like it, it it's that's a good song yeah i think that's probably my favorite on the album it it really is uh Cousteau is pretty good too um uh, yeah which that's one of the like just 
vocal and guitar yes. tracks for the most part. Her life of artistic freedom. I turned this album off. <laughs> I that sound I think is also very just like ah because I, I told you previously I've been fighting with that nitty gritty dirt band album that has been doing that exact same fucking sound. So like yeah. that was kind of why I brought it up when I was talking about that because like that song just triggered me so hard. Well, something else on that song is if you notice, there's like I think one reason that one's off putting. There's no reverb on anything on that song. No, and it's very close. Like there's no reverb on the guitars. And then he's singing very close to the mic with no reverb, which is just like doing everything wrong in terms of how you're supposed to record an album. Um, so I can see why that one, even beyond the like record skipping and like crackling and popping that that's used as a instead of a drum track on that album, or I mean on that song, it's like just the way it's recorded is intentionally doing everything the way you're not supposed to. So like I can get why that would be off-putting like i do think it's kind of cool um i wouldn't want a whole album of it but as a as one song in the middle of this album it, i think it works fine yeah i mean so that they're they get this album is a, a juxtaposition of and i think that's probably why uh shauna comedy left the band is that like there are very clearly two artistic visions happening in this album and she wants to do more you know, melodic 90s dream pop stuff. And the rest of the band's like, but what if we did a lot of noise, though? And that's kind of becoming an issue, even in this these early recordings, because, I mean, I think Didn't Understand is one where that kind of, like, comes in contention with the way it sounds. Yeah, that's one of the extremely isn't anything. I think that's, like, the least creative song on yeah. the album, just in terms of how much it sounds like Sue is fine or you made me realize. But it kind of just feels like an agreement. It sounds like they they, they agreed to make a song sound that way. Yeah. And it's... But then, and then there's uh, Chris R, which is just total dream pop, like, with with her doing the lead vocals, and it's, like, that's a better idea of, like, what her stuff post-swirly yes. sounds like. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's just... This album feels like it's a band that probably shouldn't exist as the, as it is trying to find a sound together because they like clearly liked similar things but i think there was more emphasis on one side of the band be like what if we did scratches and pops and weird noise and record this through a recorder and then play it back and record that and i'm like yeah i get it it's playful in trying to break what things sound like but i think it's a little unrefined and that's well, yeah a bit intentionally so yeah, but even even for unintentionally unrefined, it's kind of a little grating. And then that's just that's just me coming from yeah, someone who I don't can't really, listen I guess, to stuff like this. Yeah, like as somebody who listens to a lot of it, like I I can't call this grating in any way. Like it's it's. I mean, it's, uh, it's not as grating as other things I've heard in my life, but it it it, it walks right up to you need to stop. Yeah, and their next album sounded a lot more. It's polished by these standards. Um, it has more of the like tape collage stuff in it, but it's more of a between songs thing mm -hmm. as opposed to entire songs based around a tape collage. Um, so uh, something that really stands out to me on this album is the first song, Tall Ships, mm -hmm. and how what a weird combination that is of early 90s American alternative slash college rock 
Oh yeah, and, it's just like, and shoegaze. Yeah, it's like all everything just dumped in a pot, and I was like, mm. yeah, because you don't hear at least prior to pretty recently, you didn't really hear screaming in shoegaze. You know, like now you have bands like Death Heaven and and stuff who have combined like metal and shoegaze, and and you hear it now. But like in 1991, to hear like this, I mean, that was pre Nevermind him doing this like screaming part on the chorus. I'd actually Which sounds like a My Bloody Valentine song. Like that's that's like a really interesting curio of this album of like a, an evolutionary, it, not even a dead end because it did eventually get around to that, but like an evolutionary detour that that then just kind of laid there with nobody thinking about it for ten ten or fifteen years. Yeah, like that's that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, and I mean, I had to stop and listen to that song again because I was like, "Wait, did he actually scream there?" Because like I, this is, I broke my rule. I kind of picked and picked around this album just to get a, a feel for what the sound was to approach my my way of listening to it. And I didn't listen to that song first, and then when I was driving earlier, I finally listened to that song totally, and I was like, "Huh." And basically, the entire time I was gone, I listened to that song because <laughs> I was trying to like, okay, there's some weird stuff happening in the way that this is this is done. And I get that. I get that vibe. It's very, it's very. I can see sparks of what could happen elsewhere, sort of pro, like coming off of each track of this this album that sparks the band, but like yeah, actual yeah. sparks. Uh, but it's it it doesn't. It it for me. I just got this very clear image of just there were two different focuses. And the band was trying to shift between them, is what the album sounds like to me. Yeah, and I don't really get that. I feel like it feels like a pretty cohesive record, especially considering that it's all just random bits that they had that they hadn't really been able to put out in a, a bigger way, with with the exception of Chris R, which is way more twee and and dreamy than the rest of it. But even then, they the guitar tones they use on that song kind of lo-fi it up a little you know it doesn't just sound like a lush song all of a sudden in the middle of this album or anything it's yeah. still it's still lo-fi but it's just clean lo-fi as opposed to everything is distorted and uh i guess i just picked up on there was some there was a, just a disconnect between the way that certain parts of these songs or certain songs played from one another that's not apparent in a lot of a lot of groups but that's just sometimes i just i get stuck on something just sounding out of place and i think that there were some elements to this that just sounded out of place. It's not bad. I'm not. I'm not saying that like it's objectively unlistenable or anything. It's just like it's. It was a. It, it was a confounding thing to spend it some time with. Yeah. Um. But that's that's a good thing to me <laughs> to be confounded by by a record. Yeah, but that's. I. I mean, I really do. So I didn't expect to like Sarah sitting as much as I do, but that's going on a list. That song is really, I mean, it's kind of like, like tall ships in, in that it's a very different take on shoe days. It has kind of a playful rhythm to it. Um, and, and those rhythmic shifts are things that you, again, like as shoe days kind of got defined as mainly sounding like, 
Loveless and uh, Suvlaki by Slow Dive, which are, you know, very heavily studio processed albums as opposed to this more live, you know, do it in one take kind of kind of feeling um, like you, you kind of you just didn't really hear that much playfulness or rhythmic dynamics like that song has. Um, so it, it's it's a really weird record because in some ways it's like, well, this obviously nobody was influenced by this. It, you know, it just kind of it has all these weird ideas for the, you know, it, it, again, I, I want to say for the genre, even though it's not like a straight up shoegaze album, um, it's indie rock that's been inspired by by isn't anything. Um, but but it has ideas that like shoegaze bands just didn't do and i think that's like that could count against it or it could count for it um for me it counts for it as as somebody who has listened to a whole lot of shoe days in my life um hearing this different take on it is like really refreshing Mm -hmm. no and and i i can appreciate that i don't have a a great history with with shoe gaze because i just wasn't really exposed to it and i try to listen to the things that you listen to uh but yeah this is this was largely new for me i i have to be very careful with the the ways that the noise hits me and yeah and and whereas i don't tend to think of this as like being particularly noisy no but but when i when i talk about that the way that sounds hit me it, it can be something that's grating and jarring that's off that that can just sort of like stick in my my mind and just won't let me listen to anything else where I, I get very fixated on that sound. So I have to be very careful with stuff like that. You don't have that same issue. Which is a very which is a very big disconnect between us, but not a bad thing. I can I can appreciate that they put put a lot of effort into what they were doing here and they were trying a lot of things. I don't have to enjoy it to say that they were definitely trying to do some stuff. Yeah. I, I really like that they got there. So they're the only band I've ever heard refer to themselves as chimp rock. And I, I remember reading an interview with them back in the day where it really seemed like Damon was trying to get chimp rock to be like a, a thing that people talked about because he just kept describing their style as like, we're not shoe days. We're not indie rock. We're chimp rock. But and what was that supposed to mean? He just, he described it. And this surprised me because my feelings on this band but he 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 said the other band in the genre was pavement what and we're gonna have to review pavement at some point and everyone's gonna hate us because we both really dislike pavement Uh, yeah and pavement doesn't sound anything like this as far as any pavement i've ever heard um I want to know what chimp rock is supposed to mean, though. <laughs> I don't know, but it made me happy that like someone put it on Wikipedia and it links to the lo-fi page. So maybe someone else used it. He He's the only person I've ever heard use that phrase. Don't look. Look. Don't come out here and be like, my music's so creative and inspirational that it's its own complete genre. You are making it something that's in a genre. Just... I, I mean... <sighs> of all the stuff we've reviewed so far, this has the best claim to being its own thing. I mean, it is it is its own thing, but it's it but it definitely has hallmarks of you know all it, the other things that we listed. Uh, yeah, I mean, it obviously comes from 
It was not going to launch a thousand ships, okay? Tall ships. Um, it, no, I mean... Clearly they wanted it, to launch some tall ships. Obviously it didn't, because this album basically went unlistened to and is largely unknown, and, and Lily's kind of became the band that was like the the forefront of American shoegaze. Um, but I like this... I like this album better than the first Lily's album, In the Presence of Nothing, um, mm. which I, I liked that album, but it, it's so derivative of, of Isn't Anything that I just think this is more interesting. And now when we actually, I have a feeling you're going to, you'll like In the Presence of Nothing more, and uh, I, I don't know how the rankings will, if the rankings will bear my my personal feelings out on those two albums, but... Um, to that end, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you make a choice. And well, I would put this at number three. I think it's way more interesting than Eight Arms to Hold You and Morning Glory <sighs> and everything else below it. Like Jesus it definitely Christ. does not belong. It's above Monster. Like, like above Monster is the lowest it, it would go for me. I I feel like we overrated Eight Arms to Hold You. I don't think that album's like it's it's totally serviceable alternative rock. I don't think it's very interesting. I don't think this is better than that Sparks album. Uh, see, this is where I say, this is so much more successful at what it's doing. Than but the I don't album think is. it's. I just don't think it's a better album. I don't think anyone's gonna. I think in you in for for you in particular, yes, it is more influential and something you'll go back to, but for the like decade at large, it was forgotten for a reason. Uh yeah, I don't think that I mean I think that the reason it was forgotten is because it was Chip Rock isn't thing. It was on a tiny record label and <laughs> didn't get distributed. Um but again, I'm not even talking about that. I, I'm saying it's more successful at what it tries to do than gratuitous sax and senseless violins is. Do you, you would do you clearly say this is better than what's the story Morning Glory? Oh yeah, yeah, like easily better. Even after all the all of the like genre defying arguments you made about what's the story Morning Glory. I don't remember that I said it was genre defying. <laughs> why? Why do you think that? I think Sparks is better other than it's just a style of music you like better. Uh, I mean, I think functionally the songs for anyone who would come to this list and want to listen to albums would probably be more likely to listen to anything above Monster than they would below it and actually enjoy it as a just general middle of the road enjoying music. And if we want, and I know that's not a, a good way to define this list, but it is also how the decade defined itself. Well, in that in that regard, though, I mean, gratuitous sacks got defined out of the decade by the end of it, whereas there's still indie rock bands that sound like this in 2020. Yeah, I'm willing to, I'm willing to admit that. I just, I think there are about a million other things that sound that are way more effective at doing this. Well, yeah, and those would be higher on the. I mean, this this list is still in its infancy. Like, th this is not going to end up like a top 10 oh no I, 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 I know <laughs> i know that it's just by proxy that also pushes everything else further down um i mean would you feel more comfortable with it on either side of morning glory i would actually i would feel more comfortable with it being under morning glory i think that's a more appropriate way for us to not get yelled at 
I don't I don't think anyone's gonna yell at us for putting a, a shoe days record in in a decent place on the list. But do you want to reserve it for a different shoegaze record? Well, yeah. Again, stuff's going to get pushed down, though. Like, I mean, yeah. this is the first one we've done. And no, I'm not saying it's the best shoegaze album. <laughs> no. It, look, it clearly isn't. But just looking at what's on the list, like, it's... it's. Ob- I, I'm sure we both agree it's better than Pretty on the Inside. Yes. I can agree. I think it's easily better than Monster because Monster doesn't do anything new or original. It, like, new for the band, yes. But new in terms of music, no. I think it's better than Gratuitous Sax because it's a style of music that endured. I think it's better than Reachin because Reachin has, like, corny lyrics. You can't even hear the lyrics in, <laughs> in the song. You can hear it more than you can in a lot of Shoe albums from the 90s. Um, I mean, if you want to put it below What's the Story, I'm fine with that because What's the Story obviously had way more cultural impact than this did mm, I, I think i think three is too high but i think five is fine i think it is it is between reaching and what's the story morning glory okay i, I can, really i, I really that. think that's where it should be i think you were reaching for the stars there and i was a little blindsided being like bitch you could come out with that now because <laughs> like just... well, hey you have to start you don't negotiate from a place of weakness <laughs> no you just you just drop a bomb you threw that shit before you came in the room and then i was like <laughs> Fuck. I mean, you know that this is like, if I'm, I had to pick a favorite genre, it would be this. Yes, and so, I, and that's why I was, that's why I wasn't getting mad. It's I was not the here. best example of it, but as far as what we have on the list right now, it's. I mean, for me, like again, this is one of those times when if like if I was making the list, this would be definitely number three. Um, I I, I could not justify putting it over Liberation. And for me, I, Philosophy of Momus is just an album that I that is more meaningful. So that's why I would put it at three. But I'm totally happy to get it at five. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a more realistic expectation for this <laughs> album. And I wish you had picked a different shoegaze album to launch your endeavor. <laughs> but of course you well, didn't because it, you're you. <laughs> because when Loveless comes around, that's going to be like the ultimate battle for us because I don't know how I can put Loveless anywhere but number one <laughs> and like it's not to give the game away but I'm gonna be hard-pressed to think of any album from the 90s that I think is better than Loveless even though it's not my favorite album of the 90s so when the Loveless episode happens boys and girls please write in and tell Natalie how wrong she is no it's a good gonna, album no one's gonna tell me I'm wrong about that one I think you are wrong about that <laughs> Well, no one but you. I think that I am not. There are dozens of us, Natalie. It's this is why Loveless is going to be the last episode of the podcast. Talk to me <laughs> because I don't want to have to have that fight every single week. <laughs> this is why I'm dropping a bomb next week. So okay, so we're gonna we're gonna put what to do about them at is the new number five. Yes, I feel that's acceptable. Okay, I feel that's acceptable too. Okay, so. I'm going to start reading the list backwards now. We're, we're getting close to a point that we're not going to read the whole list anymore. <laughs> but, uh, number 12, Resident Alien by Space Hog. Number 11, Rocket by Primitive Radio Gods. Number 10, Manscaped by Wire. Number 9, Pretty on the Inside by Hole. Number 8, Monster by R.E.M. Number 7, Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins by Sparks. Number 6, Reaching a New Refutation of Time and Space by Digital Planets. Number five, What to Do About Them by Swirlies. Number four, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. Number three, Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. 
Uh, number two, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. And number one, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. And we are over 10 albums now. I'm very excited about that. In fact, we're at 12 albums because it's the sixth episode. I know. It feels like an accomplishment to have over a top 10. So now we can have somebody leak our top 10 out there and say that we ranked these the top 10 albums of the 90s and people can get really mad at us. Mm, yes, because there will be comments. I wish I wish people wrote letters. I would love to get letters. I would love to get angry letters about things. Not emails, letters. I want you to fucking go to a post office and send me your angry letter. No one knows how our address. I know. And, and I want to keep it that way. Someday I'll have a P.O. box. Uh, yeah. Explici- exclusively for angry letters. that we will drive to, so nobody even knows what state we're in. All right, what album are you bringing next week? Fucking Kill Uncle by Morrissey. The Sensitive Jammin'. <sighs> Look, we had to do it sooner or later, and this is... I'm not gonna fucking lie. It's like my favorite Morrissey album, so... Which... I'm wrong. You know, yeah, and, you're so wrong about that. But <laughs> it's it, but I stand by it. Because Mute Witness, R. Frank, all good. Yes, those are two good songs. There are many other songs on the album that are good. <laughs> I look forward to this discussion. I know you hate this one. That's why I'm doing it. I don't. <laughs> no, that's not why I'm doing it. I know it will be a discussion to have, but it's also an early Morrissey solo album, which is vastly different than his later work. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to be doing uh, Cobra and Phases group play Voltage in the Milky Night by Stereolab. That's a that's a heckin' title. Yeah. Why do you why do you get all these long ass titles? Because I like music that tends to have long titles. Yeah, not a not not my favorite Stereo Lab album. I'll go ahead and throw that out there and let people. And I'm not going to be wildly about... like defensive of this Morrissey album because. Um, God, I hope not. Because everyone to, to to quote a to quote a friend and listener of the podcast. Good morning to everyone, but Stephen Patrick Morrissey. <laughs> but, so <laughs> have a terrible day, Morrissey. Yes. But we'll talk about our. I don't even. I don't even call Morrissey a problematic fave anymore because I can't fucking stand him anymore. Um, but we have to talk about his music because it was important in the nineties. So, uh, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself as someone who can't actually stop listening to Morrissey. So, yeah, I. We'll we'll get to that. We'll have a whole episode next week and we can talk about our complicated feelings about Morrissey. Yep. All right. Well, until then, um, we are now on Spotify. So if you like to listen to podcasts on Spotify, go over there if you're not already listening there. And hopefully we will be easily subscribed to by the time you hear this. Um, Otherwise, keep listening the way you're listening to listening to us. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next week.